Live to see it, friends, and welcome to The World Transformed. This program is your guide to an astounding future that lies ahead, one that will be here sooner than you think, and one that you have an important role to play in bringing about. At The World Transformed, we want to introduce you to what may be the greatest transformation of them all, the one that begins with considering and acting on the almost limitless possibilities that lie before us, and that ends somewhere beyond the reach of the human imagination. So, when does this amazing future begin? Well, today is the day. My name is Phil Bowermaster, and with me in the virtual studio is my co-author, co-futurist, and co-host, Stephen Gordon. Hello, Stephen. Hey, Phil. How are you today? Well, I am super fantastic. Happy Friday. How are you, my friend? Man, uh, we have had a great week of futuristic goodness, and... uh, Glad to be here at Friday. We're gonna have we have some fun. We always do on Friday. We, uh, you know, it's uh, we we dress down on Friday a little bit, right? That's and, right. It's uh, casual Friday. Yeah, our casual Friday. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Here's the world transformed. We paid our dues on Monday. We talked about the negative scenarios. We proved beyond a shadow of a doubt on Amazing Wednesday that the good interpretation is the correct one. Okay, not beyond a shadow of a doubt, but I, you know, I'm convinced anyway. And so here it is, Friday. We're just. <laughs> We're just going to talk about some fun stuff, and we got more fun stuff than we can possibly fit into a show. So, Stephen, I'm going to we're, we're going to be rigid about this. Okay, we're just going to briefly say one or two things about each one of these, and then move on to the next one, so we don't miss any of these great <laughs> so, stuff. So, we're going to be casual with rigor. <laughs> we're, we're going to be rigorously casual. That's uh, that's, well, that's how right. we roll around here. That's that's <laughs> right. So. These are just these are just all uh, fun, interesting. Well, it's just everything we everything we talk about. I, I you know what? I'm not even going to try to characterize this show. Let's just get into it. This first one, incredible hypatious stone contains compounds not found in the solar system. I put this up on Facebook as, wake up, sheeple. Here's proof that the uh, Egyptians had alien help in building the pyramids. But what's interesting here is although this meteor has compounds not found elsewhere in the solar system. The argument isn't so much that this is uh, from interstellar space. The argument is that this came from a period in time prior to the formation, the overall formation of the, of the solar system. So this is like a rock, a precocious rock that formed early. And the, the reason they make that case is that it contains all the elements it should, but they're just in slightly wrong proportions. That right, right. It's, it's, it, the headline gets uh, uh, overstates. It, yes. It's not that it contains compounds uh, not found in the solar system. It's just that, uh, you know, put it this way: if you uh, if you were to grind the Earth up into its uh, basic elements, uh, they would come in a proportion that's similar to what you'd find in an asteroid. Not that's this right. rock, though, or, or not or this any rock. of the other planets. That's right. Yeah, um, exactly. This, this is this is different. It's it's the same stuff, but it's in a different proportion. If it were actually an interstellar rock we would expect it not to be the same stuff in different proportions, but different stuff, right? That's the, that's right. the, uh, uh now, that's there the was, a, there was significant amount of interstellar dust is what they characterized that, uh, as well as carbon and silicon and, and the proportions that you wouldn't expect. And, uh, so yeah, what, what this amounts to is probably something it could have been from, uh, prior to the solar system completely and from a different solar system that just ended up here. Right. We we recently saw the uh, uh, that the, the asteroid come for a visit uh, that was from uh, from a, from a different solar system. So that happens. We know that it happens. But uh, uh, it uh, could very. But it could have been that it was. Uh, you know, this is a a homemade rock from this solar system. But before there was much of a system to this. You know, it was. That's uh, right. That's, in the, you in know, the a, early a few, formation. A few, 
a few early rocks kind of settled out and and you get and you get stuff like this or like there's this early preliminary trying to create planets um effort that doesn't quite pan out and you get and you get this rock as a remnant of that period before the actual formation of planets and the actual formation of the of the solar system occurred and yeah the fact that there's interstellar dust on there kind of lends credence to that it's out it's it's at a time when you're just kind of floating out here in the vastness of space and there's no solar system to speak of yet so it's an interesting interesting rock uh, probably doesn't prove that the egyptians had had extraterrestrial help with it. <laughs> hey, but hey, that's always fun to talk about. So we want. Yeah, it's it, it's always <laughs> worth always worth bringing up. Anyway, um, we, we've been talking a lot about uh, about objects entering the solar system from interstellar space, and this is one that speaks not quite to that. Maybe it speaks to that, but that it just kind of helps complete that puzzle. So I thought it was uh, I thought it was worth having a having a look at that story. Okay, what do we got next, Stephen? You're descended from royalty, Phil. Um, Thank you, you very know, much. So, I'm, I'm glad you noticed. <laughs> That's right. And uh, <laughs> but you know what? So am I, buddy. And uh, and everybody else that you run into on a daily basis. It turns out that we are pretty much. If you go back before, the, say, the 1300s, if there's living descendants of anyone living below, uh, before the, uh, you know, put it this way, anybody that was has uh, living descendants today that was living before the 1300s, you're probably descended from them, okay? Yeah, uh, yeah. If, if, they're, if their genetic code managed to get out there uh, into, the, into the gene pool, uh, then, it's, then we're probably all related to it. And, and why is that? Well, you know, just do the math is, is what this article suggests. I've got two parents, and I've got four grandparents and eight great-grandparents. Great you, you, so if you're, if you're going back just a few generations, it all ends up as sort of a – a tangled mess, right? Because I mean, I, you may have one individual, Phil, that's uh, that serves as <laughs> two different points on your family tree, and maybe three points on my family tree, right? So exactly, uh, yeah. We we, we we end up being we end up being cousins many many times over. Just uh, let, let me clarify <laughs> one thing. One one thing about that, uh, we're probably descended from anybody who lived in the 1300s uh, if we're European, right? So any European <laughs> right, right. who lived at that time, we're we're probably descended from. If you're Asian, you're probably descended from uh, any Asian who lived at that time. And and there's a good well, chance. Well, uh, Genghis Khan, for example, was uh, famously uh, uh, prolific. And uh, and how many you know how many wives, girlfriends, cho- you know, and children he ended up having. And right. pretty much anybody of Asian descent now, um, uh, you know, ha- has a little bit of that blood, right? Well, well so, and they uh, say that most most people in the Middle East and probably a large section of Asia and a large section of Europe are descended from the Prophet Muhammad. Okay. That, oh yeah. Uh, well, Gengen- most Europeans uh, uh, are descended from the Prophet Muhammad because he had a daughter that ended up in Europe. Yeah. And um, and therefore, you know, if you're European, you're descended from And she from had Muhammad. kids, and 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 so yeah, you got no. the the example used in this article is Charlemagne. And I like I like to look at my kids, and I go, okay, so my kids are descended from Charlemagne, Genghis Khan, Muhammad, right? That's a that's a brilliant. It's an interesting interesting gumbo you got going there, Phil. Pedigree, uh, yeah, yeah, you know that they, yeah, they, they they've got the world pretty well pretty well covered there. But if you want right. if you want to find the ancestors to all of us then you have to go back a little bit farther, but not very far. I would have thought if you wanted to find a common human ancestor for all of humanity, you'd have to go back like 50,000 years or something. I, I really thought you'd, you know, that it would, it would take that much. According to this article, if you do the math, and if you look at the genetics, you need to go back about 3,500 years. 
So somebody yeah. was alive <laughs> on this planet. Just, just a little bit before uh, the birth of Christ, we're, we're yeah, talking. 1500 I'm, I'm, B.C., you know, uh, a, yeah. a few hundred years before Alexander the Great, somebody lived on this planet that we're all descended from, and probably several people did. A whole bunch of people probably did. Lived on this planet who we're, we're all descended from. So we ultimately are all distant cousins. Uh, many times over, we're cousins many times over, but every other human being on this planet is your something cousin. I don't know, your 47th right, right. cousin, your 118th cousin, so, whatever it so, is. So maybe we should be a little nicer to each other, Phil. I mean, uh, any, any gr- gathering of people is a, uh, is a family reunion. Is a family uh, reunion. That's exactly right. Every, every gathering of human beings is a family reunion. So I just – we should have saved that for last. That is just such a positive view of uh, – of who we are and where we are on this planet. I just, I love it. I, I think it's a, it's a great way to look at your, at your fellow human beings. We talked with Thomas Fry uh, last week a little bit about his idea of this kind of mapping of the entire human genome and our, and our entire ancestry. And one of the things I asked him, I was kind of thinking about this, was will we be able to know if we meet somebody else what cousin they are to us? And he said, yeah, probably eventually we will. That, that won't be the first application. But down the road, we're, we're going to be able to see those relationships more closely. And, and I hope it does kind of help bring people a little bit closer together. Okay, let's go back to aliens. All right, we've been off, uh, we've been off space for almost five minutes now, so let's, uh, let's, let's jump back. It, you know, I enjoyed it on last Friday's show when we went from the Eiffel Tower to aliens Back to the Eiffel Tower, back to aliens again. I feel like that was one of the best. Uh, <laughs> we we need to do that more often. Right? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> I, well, here we go. Here we go from mysterious space rock to genetics to curiosity rover spots, weird tube-like structures on Mars. The interesting thing about having all these pictures coming to us from Mars all the time is that there's a lot of anonymous, anomalous little glitches that you can find in the photo record, right? There's just a lot of very strange looking little things. But I'm telling you, you look at these rocks and you see these shapes and I'm like, well, I don't know. I'm not a geologist, but yeah, that really definitely looks like some kind of residue from living things. You know, are they fossils of little worms? Are they, are they trails of excrement that some other creature left or something like that? When you look at that picture, Stephen, do you see something biological in there? Is it just me? Or, yeah, yeah. Uh, apparently it, it's not it, just me. No, no, not at all. I, I, I see something that looks biological in that picture. And, uh, you know, quite frankly, it looks like uh, animal droppings there on the upper left corner of, of, of that picture. Well, I invite everybody to go take a look. It's, that's kind of interesting. But uh, probably there's a, there is a uh, explanation that, a geological, a geological explanation, explanation. Yeah. yeah, yeah, probably. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, you know, uh, probably the flowing of lava or something like that caused it. But it's that's uh, that's interesting, and uh, I love how clear this picture is. It looks like something. Uh, it looks you get the clarity of something. You know, going out and snapping a picture in your backyard. Uh, yeah, you found a rock in your backyard. Hey, look at this interesting rock I found in my backyard. Oh, yeah, that's how clear this picture Mars. Of Mars is. I love it. Back in the seventies, first lander. I mean, we had these grainy terrible images that didn't tell didn't didn't tell us much we get good stuff with uh curiosity don't we so oh amazing so. amazing amazing imagery and interesting anomalous finding on mars keep looking guys i don't know the if if we're ever going to eventually you know reach a point where we say this definitely proves it until we go there and then of course we'll only ever prove it if we find it right we might have people living on Mars <laughs> right. for 100 years and then find life. So it, it, it's one of those things that it's hard to disprove, 
but we'll keep looking. I like the image a lot, and I thought it was worth sharing. Okay, what else we got to talk about here today? All right, well, the next one is the world needs more scientists, Phil. I, that's something we can both agree on, right? I mean, oh, definitely, <laughs> yes. Well, how do, we, how do we get those scientists? Well, and one way is that we train millions in virtual labs. So uh, what, we, what are we talking about, Phil? Are we talking about a lab that knows how various compounds interact with one another, and so we allow people to get in there and mix together chemicals or whatever, and or, you know, in the case of physics, maybe we, uh, we blast a couple of different atoms together and, and look at what the result is, and all done virtually, all done in a simulation. Is that what we're talking about here? Yeah, I mean, if you, if, exactly right. If you look at the amount of information that's available, a scientific education is available to most of the population of the planet today, right? right? Not everybody avails themselves of it, but if you wanted to, you can go online. You have a device that would enable you to go online and watch YouTube videos and read articles and access books, and you could cobble together a pretty decent scientific education. And there's a lot of just actual structure stuff, MIT courses and things like that, so you could actually learn a lot about science, and you could become a scientist up to a point just by, just by gleaning the information. But what's missing is if you really want to become a scientist, you have to do lab work. It's right. hard to become a scientist without actually doing some stuff in the field, doing some research, and that usually involves, requires the use of a lab. So what this company, Labster, this Danish company, is working on putting together is the ultimate set of virtual labs so that if you've got the information, if you're learning it, and you want to theoretically test it, you want to get validation of it, you can do it using a virtual lab rather than a physical lab. And if the one thing holding us back from having a lot more scientists in the world is we just don't have the lab space and we don't have the lab time, I don't think that is the only thing, unfortunately, but I think that is one thing, uh, this right. solves that problem. You can, you can do your lab work uh, online rather than, rather than in an actual lab. And, yeah, to answer your question, yep, you can do chemical experiments in this lab. Uh, you can uh, – there, there's a whole host of, like, physics-type experiments you can do. Basically, anything from the harder physical sciences you can do. I think you can, you can do a lot of biological stuff as well. And it would be a way of, if you can add that to the info that's already there, boom, you can, you can produce more, more scientists. What we have to well, create is a as, as with all software, Phil, uh, the, the cost of the first copy of the software is millions. The right. cost of the that's second right. copy and every other copy is zero, right, basically. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so once you have these virtual labs, you have them forever, and the cost of bringing on another student is virtually zero, right? Right. Um, Obviously, we so, want the folks, the brilliant people who came up with Labster to get well paid for what they've done. We want to, sure. you know, we, yeah, we, we, we want that to, uh, because, because the model you just described, some might say, is basically software piracy. <laughs> Well, I, I didn't mean to, to say that, they, but that, that the person who avails themselves of it pays zero. I'm just saying the cost right. to the people who produce this stuff that's for right. uh, taking on another student is, is virtually zero. Once, you, right. so once the, you've created the, the is, environment. Yes, so, yeah, exactly. Yeah, all the you cost can, you can cover that the first copy. That's right. That's yeah. right. So, so this, this, this offers a way to fix that. And also, it just broadly speaking, this talks about something that, uh, that we were talking around on Wednesday's show, which is just that we're, we're rapidly entering this period where digital solutions are 
showing up for real-world problems, right? And this is kind of a microcosm of that whole thing because you talk about the laboratory should be able to replicate anything that goes on in the real world. Well, Labster doesn't quite offer that yet, but they're, they're, they're getting closer and closer. And if you can, create, if you can uh, enable people to become scientists, reading information online, doing experiments online, but they become real scientists with real scientific education, they're ready to then start go off and do field work. And where will they do it? Probably online, right? So that uh, <laughs> true, the, true. The, our growth in scientific knowledge will increase exponentially as this cycle becomes more efficient. Basically, we're, we're, we're enabling a whole new world of, of scientific research and a whole new world of scientific progress. All we got to do is have enough people interested in it and find ways for them to get started doing it. Really I'm possible. reminded, Phil, of a, a quote from the last Indiana Jones movie, of course, which was a, kind of a poor movie, but uh, I love this quote. Indy is, you know, has the motorcycle chase scene through the library. He stops to counsel a kid, uh, you know, one of the college guys, right? Yeah, uh, the college guy has the temerity to ask him about something as he's getting back on the motorcycle to to get right, away. Right, right, right. <laughs> you know, and uh, he's and basically uh, uh, Professor Jones uh, response to him is, "You got to get out of the library, man. You got to get out and do field work." Well, you know, we we are entering a world, Phil, where the library goes into the field, and the field is sometimes, you know, in. Uh, in, in a virtual space too, right? So it's it's a absolutely interesting time. Interesting time. It, a merge. It, it, that, that's a great example. It's a merger of of those two things, and I think a lot of people who are professional educators might look at Indiana Jones career and say, maybe you should spend more time in the library. Actually, you know, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, you're all field work, uh, Indy. <laughs> yeah, you, you've gone a little overboard on the field work. Okay, so next, here, here's a kind of a similar story, or at least it 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 is working from that same trend. Here we've got a crowdfunding platform that aims to solve the puzzle of aging. So once again, we're talking about using digital technology to address a big problem in the real world. And this ultimately, Stephen, I think is the answer to, on Monday we talked about the toxoplasma of, of uh, negativity and, and how social media, we talked about, you know, there's a crazy person on the Internet, I have to do something about it. All this damaging negative stuff that digital media, social media have enabled, it's, it's all there and it's all true. But what about, the upside? What about the new capabilities that we get as a species to work together, to cooperate on things, to make big things happen? Here's a crowdfunding platform to solve the puzzle of aging. So here's people from beautiful, all over the beautiful. world. Yeah. Getting together. We, t we talk about aging. We talk about the fact that big, big a bunch of cousins can be made. getting together, uh, you know, virtually to solve a problem. Right? <laughs> to solve a big, a big family problem. Right. Aging. That's right. And I mean, because one of the things we one of the things to talk about, yes, there's all this potential for huge progress in aging research, in helping people to live longer, healthy lives. How do you pay for it? Well, here's one way. Right. Let's let's get uh, let's let's all kick in a little. Right. Because we all potentially benefit from this. And crowdfunding is just one of the great inventions of the digital era. It's one of the great inventions of the social media era. And I, I don't know, I feel like if we cure aging or solve some other big human problem or solve several of them through social media-driven uh, practices, that it'll make, it'll make it worthwhile all the, 
all the wrong people that, that we had to put up with on the internet. What do you think? I, I feel like the internet kind of pays for itself. If we, yeah, there's going to be people that are wrong on the internet, Phil, but, uh, we, <laughs> but there's a whole lot of people that are right on the internet and uh, can help us with various problems when we get together. That's right. Most of us are right. Most of us want to do good things. And, and here's this, here's this channel for people actually doing that and a really good one too. All right. What's next? All right. Okay. So the, the next one is, is an interesting one. The first mind-controlled VR game will hit arcades in 2018. Phil, this article talks about the invention of an entirely new thing, a, a mind mouse, basically. Right? I mean, right. it allows right. point, pointing and clicking with just your mind only. Wow. That might be something that actually gets me to do the VR thing. To some extent, I've noticed in my household, Phil, I, we, we got, you know, an early uh, virtual reality platform for the first time in our household at Christmas. And I noticed that there's a genera- generational disconnect between not just me and my kids, but between the older kids and the younger. Oh, really? Uh, Interesting. Really? They, you, you know, who, who is going to play uh, the virtual reality games on, our, on, on the PlayStation 4? that uh, uh that we have it's not the older kids it's the oh. younger kids things that make me feel old there is a generational disconnect between the 20 year old and the 12 year old how and, about uh, I, wow you know well, don't you want to play this uh you know i'll just i'll just continue to play good old-fashioned video games <laughs> yeah i've got a All controller right. right here it works for me yeah, yeah i'm good i'm good dad i'm good <laughs> says the 20-year-old and also the 19-year-old. But the, the younger kids are all, all about it. So it's interesting. And so what, what would get a guy that's nearly 50 like myself well, interested in virtual reality? Maybe something like this, the, the power to move around and, and do things with your mind. And I just wonder how accurate and, and useful it will be in its early versions. That's, that remains to be seen. I'd like to experience this. Not terribly, right? If you, right. To, to, to make an analogy and to talk about something that didn't work out all that well, when the Xbox 360 came out with the Kinect system, it's kind of their answer to Wii, one of the reasons that didn't catch on all that well is because you had to do different things than work the joysticks and the buttons, right, which, which everybody was, was used to doing. So it's like, hey, here's this game you've played all along, but now you're going to be using your hands, and you're going to be moving through this environment. And it worked for some, but for some it was like, yeah. I don't know. So it's, that's analogous, I think, to the VR disconnect, right? The thing right. is, VR is so compelling and so immersive, people are buying the systems anyway. And it, it'll be interesting to see people, if they, if they do play the games, right? If it's only the, the up-and-coming generation who's really going who's really to embrace it and play the games. But when you start talking about doing stuff like this, this has implications within the VR realm and well beyond it, right? If we can control... Right, right what's happening in the VR environment with our brains. Think about this not as VR, but as an augmented reality interface. And now you're using your brain to basically just scroll through the system, gain information without having to say anything, without having to touch anything. Your whole example for why people want, why you want augmented reality. So if you look at somebody, you'll get their name, right? Um, (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So it brings up the name, but there was one other interesting thing I know about this person, right? You can do a quick Google search just using your brain to do that lookup without them ever knowing that you (laughs) – Yeah. Oh, yeah, this guy's name is Phil, and he is my 32nd cousin. Yeah, exactly. Right, yeah, you can (laughs) – 
<laughs> you can you can not only get you, you know not only have it feed you something, but you can start interacting with that information. You can start interacting with that layer on top of the world that it's showing you because you're controlling it all with your brain. And it's this way of accessing info and this way of doing things behind the scenes without anybody having any idea you're doing it. I mean, you might right. just look like you're staring off into space uh, or, or something for a minute. So I think that the the killer app of the mind-controlled VR game is probably not VR so much. I mean, it's fun in VR to do things with your body, right? I mean, that's kind of yeah. That, that's the whole. That's kind of the point of it is that you're you, you uh, as as a physical person are now in the video game. And, exactly. Uh, yeah, so perhaps the killer app is exactly what you're talking about. You and put on your AR room. frames, and uh, and then you can control the information flow. Yeah, with your mind. without That's anybody knowing you're doing it. Yeah, it, it's a yeah. sneaky way of doing that. So I think this is a big story, but probably for applications that they're that they're not thinking about here. Although I'd love to go into a VR and have Jedi mind powers and I don't know, pretty cool fight fight pretty fight cool. with Darth Vader and <laughs> knock him over with the Force or something. Okay. Have we done it? Have we done the whole show? Oh, wait, we got one more. CRISPR made spectacular advances in 2017. More to come in 2018. I don't know. What can we say about this one very briefly? It is our DNA word processor, Phil, and we, our ability to manipulate at the, at the genetic level now is getting more and more sophisticated. We, we are gaining tools all the time for CRISPR, and it, what it turns out to be is just various molecules that allow us to manipulate the DNA coding, and so we're getting, we're getting more and more sophisticated with this. So CRISPR itself was a derivative of, uh, was it some sort of bacteria? And now we're, we can cut and paste and everything else now uh, and insert gen- genes and, you know, delete certain genes. And promise of this is phenomenal. We don't yet have the killer app for, uh, for this yet, do we? But we're working towards it. We, we, we're getting our toolbox together to do awesome things. And that's what... That's well, happening. for years, Ray Kurzweil is talking about the coming ability to turn off the fat receptor gene in adult human beings. And I'm telling you, when they come up with a solution to that with CRISPR... That is going to be well. That's yeah. a blockbuster drug right there. Practically every American will take will 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 uh, be happy to take that drug. <laughs> will avail themselves and of that. That's right. There's lots of bigger things right. that can be done too. Obviously, we've talked about curing diseases. We've talked about uh, treatments for terrible conditions that people have, re- recovering from injuries and accidents. It's all happening. I, I suggest if you if you follow the link to this story, it links to two other stories. Four amazing things gene editing did in 2017 and CRISPR in 2018 coming to a human new you, both from MIT Technology Review. Check it out. CRISPR is it's just a happening. A big, big, big deal. <laughs> so All right, Stephen, we've come to the end of the week and it's time to geek out just a little bit. And I think you've got a quick update for us on your NAD plus. That's right. How many weeks ago was it that you mentioned NAD plus, and I revealed that I, I was taking it? But I mean, that was only a couple of weeks ago, right? A couple, three weeks um, ago. That's right. That's right. And at the time, I said it feels like there may be some good that this is doing me. I, I, it's really too early in the process to say. I can tell you now, definitively, Phil, that I'm getting some benefit from taking NAD plus. Okay. What? Which is what? Well, I'm sleeping better at night. Uh, I have more energy. I'm not yet uh, fully engaged in a, a full exercise program, but the thought is not <laughs> yeah, I'm doing so. It's well, not ridiculous. Right? You, you can imagine yeah. doing it. That's a big I can imagine right going to the gym and pumping some iron. And yeah, I, I, yeah. I can tell you that that's, uh, that, was, that was not in my thinking uh, six months ago, I promise you. And so I would, I would say that it's, it's, uh, it's You're feeling showing it. some You're results. You're feeling it. I'm feeling it, it yeah. 
Uh, are, are you sure it's not a placebo effect? Actually, I got to say, even if no, it is I, a placebo I can't effect, say. I'm going to uh, start know, the, taking it. The last person, the, yeah, the last person who knows whether it's a placebo effect or not is the person taking it. But I would, I would guess, Phil, that there's a little of both going on. And if it gives me even a marginal benefit, then I, my mind will take that and turn it into a huge benefit. So, anyway, uh, so, and I, I switched the formulation here recently from NAD plus to NAD plus with resveratrol, and so that's that's another component that's often thought to give anti-aging benefits. So, who knows? It might that might give me a little a little additional so a boost. So very cool. Anyway, all right. Well, I, I wanted to, I wanted to, to bring that up and uh, encourage you to give it a try. I think that there's some benefit there. Glad to hear you're making so, progress, Stephen. Keep it up. Okay, we got one more. Geek Out, which is in Gadget's picture of a 50-qubit quantum computer. It looks like, as it says here in the headline, looks steampunk awesome. Follow the link. Check it out. That does look like something from a previous era, but it's actually a picture of the future, isn't it? <laughs> That's right. I, Phil, if I, you know, I would love a mock-up of this as a chandelier in my home. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it doesn't, it it doesn't nice look, look a little bit. It's kind of a work of art. Absolutely. It's good looking stuff. Go ahead. Yeah, and I, I was just going to say, I just posted this on Facebook and said, hey, hey here's what a 50-qubit a quantum computer looks like. And there's, a, there's interesting conversations about it. You know, what is a, a quantum computer and everything? And I had to kind of break it down just a little bit. There's a lot of people still don't under, understand the promise of what that will be. These things are going to change the world. Is, is my is my view and and isn't it funny i mean we there are so many things in all by themselves crispr will change the world all yep. by itself uh ai technology and the ability self-driving cars and and everything else that'll change the world quantum computers change the world and we get all of this at one time it just bam hits us all at once so the future is up in the, up in the air, and, and, and it's for grabs, isn't it? But it's, uh, it's, it's exciting times we live in. On top of everything else, it looks totally cool. Check out the picture. The future, <laughs> that's right. The future <laughs> looks right. awesome. All right, Stephen, well, great stuff. Great talking with you. What a fun week. What a fun geek out. Uh, great having you all with us. We will be back next week with three brand-new shows. Look forward to being with you all then. And until next time, live to see it. <laughs>